0: The following is a special sports presentation of UltimateSportsTalk.com. A swing and a drive to deep right away back door! UltimateSportsTalk.com now presents the longest running internet radio program in America, the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. A comprehensive look at the Cleveland Indians and Cincinnati Reds. For the sixth consecutive season, we examine each team and their progress through the 2016 season. And now, the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Well, good evening once again, everyone, and welcome to the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. I'm Dave Mitchell. Glad to have you along tonight on UltimateSportsTalk.com. Six straight years we've done this show, and each and every Monday night, we go down south. Parts Unknown to talk to our resident Reds expert, Mark Donahue. Mark, how are you doing this week?
1: I'm pretty good, Dave. But, you know, here we go again. Uh, Every show we've done so far, I think we've done this is our third show, you start off with a Cleveland highlight. (laughs) Well, I'm telling you, my millions of fans out there, they're sick of it. And they're going to turn on you. This is going to be like a, a Trump rally. Uh, if you don't put some Reds highlights to open the show, although I did explain to many of them that if you were to look at last year, those highlights would be really hard
0: to find. Absolutely. Even Marty Branaman has a tough time finding highlights.
1: <laughs> well, um we got a lot to talk about this week and, uh, you know, why don't we just, uh, Off the top of the headline list, I'd like to get your take on what happened with LaRoche, his 14 year old son, and the Chicago White Sox clubhouse.
0: You know, that, that is a, it's kind of surprising that you bring that up. I was going to wait until the second half hour, but okay, let's get into it right away before we get into the Reds and the Indians. You know, Adam LaRoche, for those of you who don't know, just abruptly retired Last week, because he did not like the way the White Sox organization, in particular Ken Williams, the general manager, has handled the situation with his 14-year-old son Drake being in the locker room, being around the field during spring training from the very beginning. And supposedly, LaRoche, when he signed with the White Sox last year, signed a two-year agreement, it was already brought up with Ken Williams, and Williams said, hey, no problem. Well, you know, the one thing that I think I've got to kind of side with the White Sox on this, Mark, although I don't really side with them through the entire thing, if LaRoche wanted to make sure that his son was going to be in, in spring training and follow him all over and be in the clubhouse and everything, I would think that's something that they really had to put in his contract. It shouldn't have been verbal. It should have been written into the contract, and it's something probably that his agent should have handled. But in this day and age, Mark, of these multimillionaires who are doing this constantly, bringing their kids around, and, I mean, the most probably prominent one, especially down in the Cincinnati area, was Ken Griffey Sr. and Jr. I mean, Ken Griffey Jr. was around the Reds all the time, back in the middle to late 70s and everybody knew this kid was going to be a great ball player and I don't think anybody down in Cincinnati had a problem with him hanging out with the club. Do you you remember that?
1: Oh, sure. In fact, uh, Pete Rose had his kids there. Tony Perez had his kids there. (coughs) They were well known for running through the clubhouse and, you know, I think there is a point, (coughs) pardon me, there is a point where it is overdone and, uh, I think the White Sox, maybe they could have handled it better. But, uh, you know, I, I played with, with men, you know, in, in terms of, of baseball and being in clubhouses and dugouts and so on. And there is a point where you don't want a bunch of kids hanging around. And I- is there a way to handle it better? Yeah. But I had some questions about all this. Why isn't the kid in school? He wants to spend,
0: well, that, that's a real good question there.
1: You know, he, he's 14 years old, which would make him, what, a, a freshman or sophomore in high school? Uh, something like that. Um, and how does he take a month off school to be with his dad in spring training? Uh, number one. But number two, why isn't the player more cognizant and respectful of his teammates? Now, I did hear a report that LaRoche did, in fact, go to several teammates and said, Hey, do you mind if my son comes to spring training and sits next to me and, and all that stuff. And apparently they said no. But I wonder if he told them it was going to be for every game uh, throughout spring training. And you know what would have been cool? If the kid at 14, and most kids wouldn't have had the ability to do this, would have said, hey, Dad, I don't want to cause a problem. I don't want to be there. I don't want you to lose a $13 million contract because of me being in the dugout. That would have been a really cool thing for the kid to say. But he didn't. And I, I'm not blaming him. I'm just saying that there were so many ways this could have been worked out and, and it wasn't. And, you know, what, LaRoche hit 203 last year. He made 12 million dollars. Uh, I, I think he may have done the White Sox a favor.
0: Well, one thing that Ken Williams has come out and said was that he didn't expect the kid to be with LaRoche 100% of the time. And then a couple things came out yesterday in regards to this, Mark, was that even some of the White Sox players started complaining about Drake LaRoche being around the team constantly. One thing that I read was was that Adam LaRoche's team picture, his, his individual picture to put in the media guide, even had Drake LaRoche with him. Now this is getting... Just a little bit carried away, I would say.
1: Yeah, that's what I was saying earlier, that there is a point where it does go beyond just having your kid with you. And I can appreciate that. Uh, but it's, you know, you don't want to interfere with the, your teammates. And, uh, you know, I think in, in this case, uh, I, I am going to side with the White Sox. I think LaRoche just overdid it, uh, asking for too much. And again, I think he may have done the White Sox a favor.
0: Well, here's a question for you that CBS raised in an article that I'm looking at right now. Had Adam LaRoche hit better than 207 last year, would it have still been an issue?
1: Uh, yeah, I think it would have been. I really do. Uh, I think the, what could have happened is that the, they went too far, um, in maybe underestimating what, uh, LaRoche Wanted out of that uh, that situation, but I think uh, Williams was right. He probably didn't anticipate that the kid was going to be there 24/7 uh, for for six weeks of spring training. I wouldn't have. I would have thought, well, the kid has to go back to school sometime, but uh, apparently that didn't happen.
0: Well, another thing, Chris Sale, of course, the one of the premier left-handers in baseball today and the ace of the White Sox staff, he came out and said that Ken Williams should keep his nose out of the White Sox locker room, because that is the player's domain. Boy, that is quite something to be telling your GM.
1: Yes, but how many of the 25 players are going to come out and say something negative about LaRoche, even though they feel it? And, you know, I think, again, you you can take a situation too far, and, you know, LaRoche did it. I, I just don't think he is right in this, and he should have apologized and said, oh, you're, you know, you're right. I'd probably overdo it. Drake, go sit in the stands. I'll see you after the game. I mean, there's so many ways you could have worked around this uh, that it, it it seems kind of childish that uh, they let this kind of event interrupt spring training, and the guy walks away from $13 million bucks. You know what? If he doesn't need the money or he's that stupid, let him do it. Well,
0: and another thing that gets me is Jose Abreu, who – uh, was the rookie of the year in the American League last year. And, of course, he comes in from Cuba and picked things up right away for the White Sox, played first base with them. Do you know, Mark, he hasn't seen his son in three years? So here you've got the tale of the tape between two different ballplayers. LaRoche, who's got his son there every single day. And you've got Abreu, who actually left his son in Cuba to come to the United States and play baseball and hasn't seen this kid in three years.
1: Well I mean I think we've we've addressed the issue, and um, in, in this case, I think the white sox are are correct, and um, LaRoche can do what he wants, but I don't think it uh, shows a lot of common sense or or intelligence in front of your 14 year old son to walk away from fourteen million bucks or thirteen million bucks. Uh, so I'm not sure he got what he wanted.
0: do you remember a lot of the Reds players back when Ken Griffey Jr. was hanging out with the team. Do you remember a lot of the Reds players or even the media complaining about this?
1: Uh, Actually, I do. I do, because the kids would run through uh, the clubhouse making noise and chasing each other, and they were in the batting cages, and they were all over the place. And I do, in fact, remember a few comments that they were kind of a pain in the butt. But, you know, they said it in a good-natured way, but... You know, behind the scenes, you're probably thinking, why are all these kids around here? So, you know, its uh, I think it's, again, a bunch of millionaires arguing over stupid stuff like this. You, you think uh, we both love our sons and want to be with them. You think we'd walk away from $13 million? To
0: no. To have our
1: kids sit in the stands and wait for us until the game was over?
0: <laughs> I mean, no. And, and you know, another thing that LaRoche could have done that I'm kind of surprised that he didn't, why not just ask for a trade?
1: Well, again, there's an endless number of ways to have, uh, in a mature and logical way, dealt with this kind of issue, but uh, I think they picked the very worst, and now they they make an issue out of nothing. Just, it, it makes no sense.
0: Now, if, uh, final question on this, this topic, well, I'm going to make it a two-parter. Do you think LaRoche stays retired, and doesn't he lose a lot of credibility if he does indeed come back?
1: Uh, I think he will stay retired. I don't think anybody's going to pick up his contract uh, at, th- at 12 or 13, 14 million dollars or whatever that, that second year. it was a two-year deal he signed. Uh, he, he did not hit well last year. He really he's never been a superstar player. He's been a good player, but not, nothing off, off the chart. Uh, and I don't if he wanted to play baseball, he'd be playing baseball. And I don't think anybody else is going to sign him. And if they did, they're going to sign him at a huge discount. And so if he didn't want to play for 13 million, why is he going to play for three or four?
0: And I lied. I've got one more question. Bryce Harper, could he have been any more hypocritical in what he came out and said about this entire situation? And why is Bryce Harper even talking about it, Mark? He doesn't even have kids.
1: Well, I didn't hear what he said.
0: He said that this was ridiculous. That, that baseball needed something like this. They needed an Adam LaRoche, and he he's sticking up for the fact that LaRoche has got Drake hanging out in the clubhouse and everything. But he, he's not exactly the poster child for fatherhood. He doesn't even have any kids.
1: Well, but he has an opinion, just like you and I have an opinion. So I don't.
0: Well, you know what they say about opinions. I know.
1: <laughs> no, I I think. Um... What he said is probably appropriate, but you, you have to measure and value, uh, what are you teaching your child? And, you know, you could have made this a lesson and saying, you know, I love you son, but, uh, you know, I don't want to cause a problem with my teammates, with the organization. So I'll see you after the game.
0: Dad's got to make a living. That's right. You know, this is how dad makes a living. This is how you know, some fathers in this country cannot just drop their job because they don't spend enough time with their kids. For crying out loud, Mark, I, I know I would have loved to have spent a lot of time a lot more time with my kids. I know you would have wanted to spend a lot more time with your son, but there you know, there are just some times where the man's gotta be able and the woman nowadays have have to be able to put food on the table and, and a roof over the kid's head. And the kids have to understand that and have to respect it and have to learn from that.
1: Let's talk about the Reds and the Indians.
0: <laughs> Let's go to the Reds first of all, because I thought one of the more surprising moves that the Reds made this week, because people are starting to cut down, the teams are starting to cut down, but I thought one of the most surprising moves was the fact that they cut Robert Stevenson.
1: Well, they didn't cut him. They
0: they sent him down. Well, they sent him down.
1: Sent him down. Big difference. Uh, well, he got lit up. I mean, he he got off to a slow start. Uh, he he wasn't pitching well. He was up in the zone, and, you know, some of these guys, it, it takes so long for them to either see the light, or be as good as everybody thought they were going to be, and Robert Stevenson may be. Another in a long, long list of people who have been given expectations that just aren't realistic.
0: Well, I mean, so, so he's the ball up. Okay, I understand that. He's pitched just for about two and a half weeks down, uh, down in Arizona. But when are the Reds actually just gonna Put his feet to the fire and say, "Hey, look, you know, you're a guy that we're looking towards doing big things on this ball club. Don't you think there's a time where they just got to got to stick him in the rotation and see what he can do?" Not when he's got a
1: seven ERA in spring training and he's throwing you know eighty nine mile an hour fastballs. Uh, no, I don't think that. And I, I think that maybe he came into spring training thinking that he had it made. I don't know. Uh, that doesn't sound like him, but it's happened in the past. And you, you don't know what he did over spring over over the winter. Did it, was he lifting? Was he did he gain weight? Is he in shape? Was he throwing? All these things. And to me, it sounded more like a message to him: uh, "You're not ready yet. And uh, if you think you are, uh, you've got another thing coming." So again, you never know the backstory. What is going on with the agents, with the manager, with the pitching coach, with the player? Uh, but, uh, I, I'm not surprised they sent him down based on his performance. I only saw him pitch once. And he, he's the kind of guy who will strike out a lot of people. Uh, he'll have two or three good innings and, and then he gets pounded. And he, I don't know why. Does he lose concentration? Is it control of the fastball? Because if you can't control your fastball in the zone, you're going to get hit. I don't care how hard, how hard you throw. If you throw a hundred miles an hour down the middle of the plate, Major league hitters will take you out and it's, it's not, it's, it's called being wild in the zone where you try to throw it on the outer third of the plate and you throw it down the middle. Well, that's only two inches, three inches at the most. And, but it, it can, it can change your career because if, if you throw it down the middle, these guys are going to hit it.
0: Were you surprised that the Reds re-signing Alfredo Simon last week?
1: I wasn't surprised to the extent that they don't have any starting pitching. I mean, this, this rotation, they lost Lorenzen uh, to an injury. He may not be back for a long time. Lamb is down with an injury. Moscot is coming back from an injury. Uh, he hurt, his fortunately, his left rotator cuff last year at the end of the season. So you have D Scalpani, you have Iglesias, you have Simon, maybe Mascot, maybe Reed now. So you don't have a lot of depth. And so, no, it didn't surprise me they signed him. But I think it speaks volumes about where the Reds are, that they bring in a guy like Simon, who last year I think he had around a five ERA with Detroit, had a losing record, was one of the better lineups in baseball. And he's what they turn to as a, as a savior. Now, hopefully they get Bailey back sometime in April. And they get Lorenzen back sometime in May, perhaps. And Reed and Lamb and Finnegan live up to expectations. But, boy, Dave, um, th- this team starting rotation right now, I, I cannot think back. This, this I guess it reminds me of the early 2000s when they had five guys you never heard of. You know, come out of spring training and it, it, this could be ugly early with Cincinnati. I mean, they, this team, uh, yeah, I originally thought maybe they wouldn't score a lot of runs. I think offense is going to be okay. I think they'll be middle of the pack, but this pitching staff, whoa. I mean, they could have some, just some ugly games early in the year.
0: Well, as far as the Indians are concerned, I think they've settled upon Josh Tomlin to be their number five starter. They sat him down on Saturday, had a long conversation between him, Terry Francona, and they talked mainly about how Tomlin will be a spot starter in April and he'll be working out of the bullpen a lot of the times too because with a lot of days off in April, Mark, you don't need five starters. You really only need four and the Reds are going to be in the same situation too. The only time you really need a fifth starter is when you get to about the middle of May and going through the the hot summer months and that's when that number five starter comes into play. But it looks like Josh Tomlin has got that job solidified for the Indians. But the thing that surprised me was the Indians went out and signed former Reds player Marlon Byrd to come in on a minor league deal, and they're going to see what he can do from that right-handed side of the plate.
1: You no, know, he, didn't, he didn't play that badly for the Reds last year. He got off to a terrible start. He was hitting in the low 100s, I think, going into May. And he did, I think he hit over 20 home runs for the Reds. And uh, he plays an okay defense. I mean, I, th- I think he can help the Indians. I saw that that move, and I was surprised he hadn't hooked up with somebody before. Now, was he thirty-eight years old?
0: Thirty-seven years old, and the last five years, Mark. This is a very little-known stat about Marlon Byrd. In the last five years of his career, he's hit over twenty home runs and had over seventy RBIs in the last five years.
1: Yeah, I mean he didn't he didn't play poorly, except that that first five six weeks, but which really. Ruined him from a batting average perspective, but he was productive with RBIs, and and, uh, again, he hit the home runs last year for the Reds, and so I think it's a good pickup.
0: Well, you know, it depends upon how they're going to play him. I, I think Rajay Davis is not making a good name for himself with the Indians, will venable, who's a guy that they picked up from San Diego and Texas during the off season, which I was really kind of surprised i wasn 't I was really concerned as to why they thought they needed Will Venable, but it was just another reclamation project that the Indians always seem to try to pull this time of year well he 's another one he 's not doing anything out in Arizona over the last couple of weeks i don 't think you 're going to see him on the Indians roster, Michael Brantley though. Mark, after that shoulder surgery, he actually got into a minor league game over the weekend. Now, they only gave him a couple of at-bats because he's only swung off a tee and faced live pitching over the past week. But his goal right now is to get back with the Indians by opening day. Is that going to happen? Probably not because it's just a week and a half away. And it's hard to believe that opening day, Mark, is just a week and a half away. But it is. And Brantley is not going to be able to play, so I think that's one reason that they brought in Bird. I think they want to back up DH. I'm not so sure they're convinced that Carlos Santana is their answer right now at the DH spot. Napoli has won the first base job. That's what they brought him in to do was play first base. They've moved Santana from first base to DH. Mark, this is the fourth consecutive year that Santana has had a different spot. This is the fourth consecutive year that they have depended upon Santana to be an integral part of this lineup. And I think this is going to be the fourth consecutive year, Mark, that he is going to disappoint not only the Indians front office, but the Indians players and the Indians fans. I'm not sold on Carlos Santana any longer.
1: Well, I I think you are among many who feel that way. Uh, I don't remember, well, you, you probably do, but not following the Indians as closely as you do, I can't remember anybody who's come up with more fanfare. And actually, when I first saw him play his rookie year, man, I thought you had a superstar budding there. I mean, he, he his bat speed was terrific uh, as a catcher, a switch hitter, power, um, all those things that you want. And then he just... I, I I don't know what happened because I don't follow him every day, but uh, that's got to be one of your bigger disappointments in, in recent
0: years. Well, it definitely is, and his problem has been, and it always will be, because he refuses to listen to any of the batting coaches. He's got such a long swing, Mark. I mean, it is a he, he starts his swing in April and finally completes it in May. <laughs> that that's how long. His swing is. He can't check swing, and he is susceptible to the low inside curveball, especially from the left-handed side of the plate, Mark. And he's just the type of ball player that is stubborn. He doesn't listen. He goes into prolonged slumps. His hot streaks are becoming shorter and shorter because the pitchers understand how to pitch to him, and he doesn't adapt to how the pitchers pitch to him, what? and you know as well as I do, Mark, when you're a major league ball player and you can't adapt to how the pitchers are throwing, your career is going to be very short-lived.
1: Well, it's not only adaption, it's adaption to adaption, because th- these guys, their stuff doesn't change, A pitcher's stuff doesn't change from week to week or month to month, you might face them three or four times a year, but they, they throw you different, a, a different series of pitches. Rather than starting you off with a fastball, they might start off with a change up if you're not hitting it. That they, they make adaptions to your success, really. If you, if you can pull uh, an inside fastball from a 95 mile an hour left-hander, well, they're not going to throw you that pitch again. You, you, you got your shot. You hit it. Okay. Now see, see how you can handle the slider on the other outer half. And if you can't, you're going to see that slider in your dreams. I mean, they're going to beat you up with it until you've proved you can hit it. And that's what you're talking about is guys like Santana. And I'll bring up the guy that I use this as an example all the time. It's Jay Bruce. Jay Bruce just refuses to make adjustments to adjustments. And you talk about being stubborn. Uh, You know, I, I don't know if it's being stubborn or just not very bright or you don't pay attention. I don't know what the answer is. But the great hitters are those who adjust. And if you don't adjust, you will not survive in this league.
0: Well, are we hammering a dead horse here between Santana and Bruce? Are they able to make the ad have to be made? Or are they just incapable of making change?
1: Well, you, it's two questions. Are they incapable or unwilling? And Jay Bruce, I, I remember uh, Drew Stubbs. Remember the Reds center fielder from several years back? Uh, Drew Stubbs would strike out at an alarming rate. He would hit 215, 220, and he's one of the fastest guys in baseball. And when he was asked at a press conference once after he'd struck out three times in the game, why don't you bunt? You, you could, you could raise your average by 40 points a year. He says, well, I don't want to be known as a Judy. Now, for, for, for those of you out there that don't know, a Judy is a singles hitter, a guy who, like, like Pete Rose would be called a Judy because he had more singles than anybody in the history of baseball. But this kid, hitting two did didn't want his uh, friends on other teams or people who saw him play thinking he, he wasn't capable of, of swinging and getting a base hit. So and it's like B- Billy Hamilton for the Reds. Billy Hamilton hits fly balls all the time. Now, is he just not capable of hitting a grand ball? Because if he did, he'd probably hit two hundred seventy, two hundred eighty, 280, steal 100 bases. Or is he, is he just incapable intellectually of doing it? I, I, I don't know the answer. But when these guys come up like Santana and they don't make adjustments, you, you'll see what's going to happen. He'll be released.
0: All right, there's a few players I want to talk to about the Reds. There's going to be a few players that I'm going to talk about on the Indians, but let's let's stay on the Reds side and stay down south with where you're at right now. First of all, a guy that is very well known among Cleveland Indians fans that is actually with the Reds this year and I always thought he was a pretty good ball player mark, and I think he's got a large upside is Tyler Holt. I think he's ra- starting to raise some eyebrows among Reds fans and the Reds organization as to just how good a ball player he really is. Does he have a shot at making the team at all?
1: Well, he does if Billy Hamilton continues to to struggle both physically and and on the field in performance. Uh Tyler Holt is a guy like uh, Billy Hamilton. He's 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 fast, he's got he's got a good arm, he's a great defensive player. He's never going to hit any home runs, uh but he's He's done pretty well. I think he's hitting 270, 275 this year in spring training. So I think there's a spot for him. But right now, you know, when you look at the Reds roster, it's hard to find a spot because they're only going to carry 13 position players and that will include two catchers, Mesuraco and probably Barnhart. But then there's only 11 spots left and you look at Vado, Bruce, Phillips, Hamilton, Cozart, Suarez, Duval, Shetler, Peraza, and De Jesus. That's 10 right there. So then you've got to pick between Cave, Jake Cave, Tyler Holt, uh, Juan Duran, uh, Jorman Rodriguez. Uh, those guys are, are all vying for the single spot because the Reds are going to have at least 12 pitchers. And they can have 13 pitchers, which makes that an even smaller list of position players. So I think it may be a number crunch for Tyler Holt, and um, you know, I, I'm not sure there will be room for him on the roster.
0: Tell me a little bit about the platoon that the Reds are anticipated to be doing in left field between Adam Duvall and Sprecher. It's Shebler. Shebler.
1: Yeah. I've mispronounced that as well uh, several times. I'll tell you, Duval is a right-handed Adam Dunn. I mean, this guy—he's got some scary power. He really does. They, they showed him in batting practice the other day, and I'm telling you, Dave, he was—and I've played on those fields out there, so I, I know where he was hitting those home runs. He was hitting the ball 450, 460 feet, and it looked like he was just taking a, a nice, easy—you know—swing at the ball, pass at it. He wasn't really trying to kill it. He's got some big-time power. So if he can make contact with the ball and the fact that the Reds have a homer-friendly ballpark, I think he could hit 20-25 home runs if he played full-time. And between he and Shevler, uh, I tell you what, if Jay Bruce is hitting 215-220 going into May uh, or June, you might see an outfield of uh, Shevler. Maybe in center, if Billy Hamilton doesn't work out. Maybe in right, if Jay Bruce has a a bad start. And Duran full-time, I'm sorry, um, Duval full-time in left field.
0: Mark, when you're looking at a veteran ball player, like a Rajay Davis for the Indians, when do you start getting concerned over the fact that he's not hitting the ball very well? Right now in training camp, he's hitting 188, he's got no home runs, two RBIs. He struck out eight times in comparison to just one walk. When does Terry Francona and the rest of the Indians hierarchy start looking at a veteran ball player like that, who's had a mediocre career? I think it's safe to say that you, you could say that Rajay Davis has had a mediocre career, and especially when he's battling for a center field spot, that is probably going to have to be he's going to have to play there for at least the first half of the season if he indeed makes this ball club so when do the Indians start to look at him and say wow I'm, I'm kind of wondering here if he's actually going to cut the mustard
1: well I think that's questions already been asked of him several times uh, when he first came up and who did he come up with uh, was it uh oh, Detroit Detroit okay, that's right Detroit yeah I think when he first came up, he was destined for stardom. I mean, everybody thought he was going to be you know one of the better players in the league. It never happened, and again you you have these shooting stars they they rocket through the minor leagues, and you know you and I have had this debate before. When is it appropriate to bring these guys up? Do you bring them up a year early or do you bring them up a year late? because a lot of that that decision goes a long way. Sometimes in determining a player's career, so you know you you look at Rajay Davis and he's always been a, a decent uh, defensive player, but and he's had speed, he's got a good arm, but he's never he's never hit the way everybody thought he was going to hit, and I'm I'm not sure there's going to be a magic formula this year that says he this is the year he's going to do it.
0: Well, that coupled with the fact that Tyler Naquin, who's a former number one pick for the Indians. In 13 spring training games, 32 at-bats, he's batting 4th, 38. He's hit two home runs. He's got three RBIs on the year. He's batting primarily out of the leadoff spot. He struck out three times, walked eight. Mark, when you look at a veteran like Rajay Davis, and you've got a rookie who's fighting his way into that center field spot, when do you start again as Terry Francona and the rest of the Indians hierarchy and say, boy, do, is the future now, or do we wait another year?
1: If it was me, I would, I would give Rajay Davis the, the nod. I think it takes the pressure off the rookie, let him let him get his feet wet. Um, I, I think here, here's my concern about that: when you when you stick a rookie out there too soon, and the chances are, statistically, he's not going to make it. He's not going to flourish out there. He may have an okay start. Maybe you'll hit 240, 250, and maybe that's enough. But what happens if the guy hits 180, 170? He's come all this way to get to the big leagues. He gets a shot, and he's not ready. And that's my big concern about some of these guys: is they they get pushed into a position too soon, and 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 they they're not ready. They don't succeed, and it hangs with them for a long, long time. And it, sometimes it's hard to get back. So. I, I would opt to bring him along slowly and, you know, I think that's better for the player and better for the team.
0: See, I'm more of the other direction. I'm, I'm more of the guy that it depends upon you how you package it. I think if you tell Tyler Naquin, hey, the job is yours through April. In May, you're going back down to the minor leagues no matter what. So whatever you do up here doesn't matter. You're going back to the minors. In May one, and that's how you package it to the kid. and then if he beats ball like he is in spring training, you can always keep him.
1: Well, spring training is is historically and notoriously known for very bad a very bad way to judge a player's ability or talents or long-term value. So I agree. I, I would not look to that as as a reason to bring him up or not. Now, your shortstop last year. Uh, you, you argued long and hard that he should have been brought up earlier. So what happened?
0: I thought, I thought he won the short job, shortstop's job right out of spring training.
1: Okay. What happened when they brought him up?
0: Uh, for the first two weeks he was out of it and then after that he was the leader of the ball club.
1: Okay. Now, you can make the argument that my position has just been validated. Maybe they waited six months or maybe even a year longer than they should have. But but they did bring him up, and he did flourish after the first couple of weeks. So it would appear that the formula they used to bring him up was accurate. Now, you could argue, you never know because you can't prove a negative, if they had brought him up a year before, he would have been just as productive. Who knows? But right now, you've got a shortstop that's in place. He's a great fielder. His hitting was, I think, the big surprise, maybe the big surprise in baseball, uh, that he's a much better hitter than people thought, and he looks to be on his way to a good career. So I would I would venture to say the Indians made the right call when to bring him up.
0: And I would contend, <laughs> as I did last year, that the Indians made a mistake in not bringing him up until mid June. If they would have let him start the season with the team, he would have solidified the defense even more, and maybe just maybe Mark, they would have finished in the playoffs instead of out of the playoffs by three games. I think that kid was good enough to to be the difference in three to five ball games for this team.
1: But we'll never know, will we?
0: No, we won't. And, th- and that's <laughs> one of the great things about it. That's why I'm asking the question. Do you go with the veteran or do you go with the rookie? I mean, this kid was a number one draft pick, Mark. I mean, when you've got a number one draft pick, like a Bryce Harper, I mean, for crying out loud, I'm not comparing Naquin to Bryce Harper. Don't get me wrong. But there was a reason that the Indians drafted this kid, number one. When are you going to finally put your faith in the player instead of your faith in some veteran that has had a mediocre career?
1: I'll tell you what. Go back and look at, at Bryce Harper's first year. What did he hit, 215? So you... some. Yeah. Okay, you can make the argument that they brought him up too fast. Now, did, did that humiliation in, in, the, in his eyes, a guy, a superstar his whole life, uh, he gets his head handed to him his first year in the big leagues, did they bring him up too quickly? Well, I think it depends on the team and where they are. Now, you, you could make the argument with the Reds this year, they're not supposed to win anything. If the Reds play 500 ball, it's going to be an upset. People will be thrilled. So would I take a chance by bringing up a young guy and sticking him in the rotation or the lineup? Yeah, I would. But I wouldn't take a chance with a team like the Indians who have a legitimate chance to win the division and maybe go on. I wouldn't risk bringing up a young guy and putting him in a position, number one, where he could fail, or number two, where he could hurt me, where I I lose those two or three games early and he's not ready. I, I, I think you have to measure it against what the team, the team's potential is for that given year, and the the psychological makeup of that kid.
0: And see, with this Indians ball club, and it's hard to believe that I'm actually going to say this, especially considering how terrible they were defensively two years ago. But with this particular Indian ball club, it's not a team that is going to bludgeon you to death with their offense. This is a team that is built around their pitching. And in my opinion... Rajay Davis, he's never been a center fielder. He's always been a corner outfielder. He's never played consistently in center field like he would have to. Tyler Naquin, he's a center fielder by trade. And I think defensively, I think you bring him up, you put him at the number nine spot in the batting order, you don't lead him off, and you let him go out there and you play defense behind that pitching staff. And you never know what you may have. Now, he may fall flat on his face, like you said, Mark. He He might do that. But then again... He might be the type of ball player that that is going to actually prove why the Indians drafted him number one about four years ago. I'm all in favor of bringing this kid up at least in the first month and giving him a shot.
1: I remember when Joey Votto first came up. He he came up initially as a uh, September call up, and uh, I think his and no one thought that Joey Votto was going to be the player that he ended up being. But I remember in September he hit five or six home runs, I think in September. And the next year uh he was going to be the first baseman. But the Reds, they kept Scott Hatterberg. Remember him? And they started him at first base. And Joey Vada was sent back down, or if he if he was on the twenty uh, five man roster, he was he wasn't starting. But he slowly worked his way into the lineup and once he got there he was ready. He was ready to perform, and you know the rest is history. Now, had they brought him up a year before, who knows? Could he have performed? Probably. Uh, but again, you you want to make sure these guys are ready because you don't. What you don't want to do is bring a kid up and say, "Here, you're starting in center field. He hits 150 for the first two months, and you got to send him down." That's what you don't want to have happen. So again, my you and I disagree on this. I would. Rather bring him up six months late than six months early.
0: Zach Kozart for the Reds. Where does he stand right now? Is he going to be the opening day shortstop?
1: Yeah, he will be. Uh, no one talks about the mobility. He's only hitting about 150. And, uh, you don't know how much that is tied to the fact that he never won, wasn't a great hitter ever. Uh, he probably has a lifetime batting average in the 240s. So it's all about defense with him, and I think if he can go – the key play will be him going into the hole, stopping, planting, and throwing. That's the play. And if he can do that, I think he will help the Reds even if he hits 230, 240. He's never going to hit more than that, so you you know what you're getting. You're getting solid defense, but if he does not have the mobility, if he can't charge the slow roller, if he's afraid on turning the double play because of his knee – then you've got a real liability at shortstop and then you get got a problem.
0: Well, alright, so if Cozart is the opening day shortstop, where does that leave the Reds with Jose Peraza?
1: I think he'll, he'll fill in. I think he'll, he's going to be, I bet Peraza, I'll make a prediction that Peraza will get three to four hundred at bats this year. <clears throat> where they're going to be, I don't know, but do not be surprised. If Billy Hamilton gets off to a slow start, Peraza ends up in center field. And if not full time, he'll be out there a lot. This kid, he, I saw him play five or six games this spring training, and he's got a great bat. He reminds me of Paul Molotar. I uh, remember him, I mean, this guy could, he just, mm-hmm. everything he hits is hard, line drives, and he's not going to be a big power hitter, but he could be a good doubles hitter, and he can play everywhere. He can play second, he can play short, he can play third, he can play all the outfield positions. So he is going to be a very valuable asset for the Reds this year, but I keep believing, having seen him play, that Eugenio Suarez is going to have a big year this year. And offensively, I look at this team and, you know, the Reds are going to score some runs. They will. They've got a lot of power. They got, they got some speed, but I think that this pitching staff, I mean, I'll tell you, this could be a record breaker uh this team could be there's no Dave you look at your lineup or your, your pitching rotation you've got legitimately three or four stoppers guys that, that on some clubs your fourth starter your third starter could be a number one starter on many teams the reds don't have a number one starter anywhere in the organization there's not one guy you go to and say okay if i'm pitching the seventh game of the world series he's going to be that guy and, and that is, that is a very scary thought.
0: Where does things stand with Tony Singrani now? Has he settled into the bullpen?
1: Yeah, I, I think he's going to be, uh, Singrani, I believe, could be your closer. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen with Hoover. Uh, it's going to be, you know, closer by committee, which I hope it is. There's nobody strong enough there that I, I'd want to put out there every, every time with a one run lead. Uh, but Singrani has incredible stuff. If he can control it. And he's kind of a head case. Uh, he, he reminds me of a, of, um, Homer Bailey when Bailey first came up. Uh, kind of a, you know, cocky, arrogant dude who uh, thinks he's better than he might be. And he gets beat around, uh, you know, for a, for a year or two. And hopefully it, it brought him down to reality, but he's got all the tools. This guy can throw in the mid nineties. He's left handed. He's got a funky, uh motion that gives left handers a lot of trouble. So uh Singrani could could be very helpful, but he's again he's not a number one starter.
0: You know, another guy that we have discussed over the last four or five years, Mark, uh from him coming up with the ball club to the injuries that have surrounded him to whether or not they should move him back from behind the plate someplace else, and that's Evan Meseraco. Now if he gets injured again are they going to give up on this idea of him being a full-time catcher?
1: It depends on the injury. Uh, what happened with the hip? Uh, it, it, I mean, it's yeah, it was a serious injury, but it wasn't that serious. I mean, it's something that heals. Uh, he should have no repercussions from that. It's not an unusual injury, but he's had. You're right. He's had a series of just nagging injuries that catchers are prone to have only because they get beat up a lot. But he's got a major league bat, that's for sure. So I think he's the kind of guy that's going to be around the big leagues for a long time. It may not be behind the plate, and it may not be in the National League. But uh, when you swing the bat like he does, he's capable. If he was a DH and stayed healthy all all year, the guy could hit 35 home runs and drive in 100 runs. That makes you rich.
0: Well, and, and that'll make him rich, but the problem is, he's coming off of a hip surgery, and as I, I know very well, you know, when you've got to crouch down over a hundred times a game, Mark, I mean, that, that is gonna be a lot of toll to put on that hip. It
1: is, but where else are you gonna play him?
0: You've gotta find a spot for him. Where?
1: Tell, tell me. The spot.
0: Well, I, I mean, you and I have discussed this over the last couple of years. Left field, first base, third base, something. But you've got to find another spot if if his bat is that important to this ball club. And, and especially when they're not expected to do much this year. This is a good opportunity for him to get find another position.
1: There is no other position, Dave. I, I've seen him play left field. Uh, he's not going to move Votto out. Do you trade Votto and his contract and put Meseraco at first? Well, you could. Uh, but now you're, you're talking about dismantling this organization totally. And who's going to give Votto $25 million a year for the next nine years? Very few people.
0: So, the New York Yankees. Maybe. <laughs> uh, you know,
1: I think the Boston Red Sox might actually be a better spot for him.
0: You know, and they need a first baseman. That's right.
1: That's why I said that. I mean, they, uh, they're going to lose Big Poppy this year. This is, I think he's his last year this year. Yes. And so, yeah, he could, he could move over there. But, uh, if, if it, it's proven that, uh, can't catch, then the only thing you could do is put him in left field this year. But you've got two guys out there that are better defensive players and maybe as productive offensively. There is really no other spot for him. Uh, he can't play the infield. He can't play in out, the outfield last year was a disaster for him. So the only thing you can play is first base. But, uh, you're, again, you're not going to move Joey Votto out of there unless you completely retool his team.
0: Well, how, would you take Josh Tomlin and Carlos Santana for Mesoraco?
1: Yeah, yeah, I would.
0: Would you really? Yep, I sure would. I'd make that deal any day of the week.
1: Yeah, I would.
0: Boy, now I, Never expected to hear you say that. Now, explain the rationale to me on that one. Why would you take that deal?
1: Because of the risk of of injury to Miserocco. You just brought it up. He goes to the American League, and he can catch sometimes. He can DH the other times. He'd be around. He'd probably get 400 at-bats, maybe 500 at-bats. He'll hit you 25 home runs, maybe more. Uh, And those two pitchers you brought into the Reds would would stabilize their rotation. And, uh, yeah, I'd make that deal.
0: Well, I'm only giving, I'm only giving you one pitcher. I'm giving you Tomlin. I'm giving you Santana.
1: Well, yeah, I understand. But yeah, I, I yeah. would take that deal.
0: Just boy, that. boy, I, I would. I would make that deal right now. Well, i wouldn't much take it I, for
1: Santana. I, I want Tomlin. But, um, how about, uh, Corey Kluber for Jay Bruce?
0: <laughs> I'll tell you what, Mark, uh, l- l- let's talk next. Let's talk next decade. <laughs> now, think
1: about that. I
0: mean, you got... I'm th- oh, I've thought about it. You've you got oh, coaching yeah. that... You that was could, a nightmare.
1: You could get rid of Kluber, and it wouldn't negatively impact your rotation that much, but you'd be picking up a guy who could lead the league in hitting, playing over at first base.
0: Who? Votto. You said... Oh, so you're saying, you're saying Kluber for Votto. You yeah. said Bruce. No, I didn't. Did I? I, I the- yes, you did. Okay. Well, that, That's why I was saying, you know, that one there, I would have to really sit and think long and hard about. Um, I, I wouldn't mind giving up Kluber for Votto, but I would really have to think long and hard about that one. Um, you know, and, and as much as I like Josh Tomlin, I really do like Josh Tomlin. I, I, I've always thought that he was one of the better pitchers that they got from the Cardinals when they made that deal. It, you know, if I if I could get Mesoraco for him and Santana, I would really make that deal because you could put Mesoraco at first base and you could put him at DH, and he would be that right-handed power hitter that the Indians really need.
1: By the way, I was thinking about the Reds roster and. Uh, I was talking to a friend of mine about the the 76 Reds and we were talking about various lineups that were really terrific. And I mentioned that the the Indians lineup in the mid 90s with the guys you had, I mean that that was one hell of a lineup. You you had top to bottom on that team offensively. Can can you remember the starting rotation from the say the 95 96 Indians?
0: Oh yeah, I can. What it? Yeah. What was it? Uh Dennis Martinez was the ace. Okay. Oral Hersheiser.
1: No, go to your offense. Go to your offense.
0: Oh, you're talking about the offense? I thought you were talking about the pitching staff, the no, no, no. rotation.
1: You're you're starting eight or you're starting nine.
0: Yeah, Kenny Lofton was in center field. He was the leadoff hitter. All-star. Carlos Baerga was the second baseman. All-star. He batted second. Right. Yeah, all-star. Okay. Uh, the third hitter was Jim Tomey. All-star. Third base. The fourth hitter was Albert Bell. All-star. Left fielder, hit 50, 50 home runs that year, 50 RBIs in 144 games. Or 50 doubles, I'm sorry. 50 homers, 50 doubles in 144 games. And did not get the most valuable player that year. That was the crazy thing. Number five hitter was Manny Ramirez in right field. <laughs> Make, All-star.
1: Maybe the greatest right-hand hitter in the last 30 years.
0: Could be, yeah. The number six hitter was the catcher, Sandy Alomar Jr. Great hitter. Yeah, uh, right-handed hitter. The number seven hitter was, let me think about this. You know what? I've got a, The number seven hitter was Jim Tomey. The number two hitter was Omar Vizquel.
1: That's right.
0: The shortstop. And the number eight hitter, believe it or not, was the DH, uh, Eddie Murray. Jeez. And the number nine hitter was first baseman, and a lot of people don't remember who the first baseman was on that team. They mistakenly always say it was Jim Tomey. It wasn't. The guy was Paul Sorrento.
1: And you, you just mentioned guys that I bet appeared collectively, those nine guys probably appeared in 50 All-Star games. At least. Yeah, at least. I mean, that. that I brought that team up, and I, I didn't remember all the players, but I, I remember Manny Ramirez and other guys on that team. I mean, I, I made the, the point that I thought that was one of the best offensive teams the American League has produced, maybe since the Rangers a couple of years ago, and uh, when they had you know a wrecking crew. But that was one heck of a uh, offensive team back in those mid 90s with the Indians.
0: And and they went on to prove Mark that good pitching. We'll beat good hitting because Atlanta beat us that year and they had the best pitching in baseball. That's right. Yep. With Smoltz and Glavin and, uh, Maddox. Greg Maddox. Yep. Yeah. What, what a pitching staff. But they did. They, they beat the Indians that year in, in six games. So, I, so off the baseball path, we've got a few minutes here. I've got to bring this up. How's your brackets?
1: <laughs> you know, I, I read the other day, when, uh, Michigan got beat, uh, or, I'm sorry, Michigan State got beat, the ESPN, uh, computer generated brackets, not one person picked them, which it ruined every bracket.
0: Mm-hmm. So, uh,
1: you have, you see, I, Warren Buffett made this comment, you have a better chance of winning back to back lottos or Powerballs than you have of picking uh every bracket correctly.
0: <laughs> That's why he offered Mark like,
1: three billion dollars if you if you did it.
0: Mark, you played basketball at Wright State, correct? Correct. Okay. Have you ever been involved in a game where you had a twelve point lead with forty four seconds to go in the game and lost? No. <laughs> no. That really that really is an accomplishment I mean you really have to sit back And you have to look at Northern Iowa And say you really had to work at that one
1: Why don't you tell the fans What happened on that Because maybe some of them don't know
0: Oh Northern Iowa just totally blew the game Last night They had a 12 point lead With 44 seconds to go And lost in double overtime They couldn't get the ball in bounds Mark It was amazing I've never seen anything like it, never seen anything like it, where a team has has just totally just totally imploded over the last forty four seconds, never seen anything like it, probably never will ever see anything like it again.
1: well you know, I remember you asked if I played basketball, and I did, and I had some decent games, and I remember though um, I was 33 for 33 at the, at the free throw line to start the season my senior year. And there was an article about me in the paper. And uh, I had missed a free throw all year. So we go down and play. I, I, we played Eastern Kentucky or somebody in Kentucky. Um, uh, Cumberland. We played Cumberland College. That's who it was. I go down there, and we have a one-point lead with, I think, 10 seconds to go in the game. I have the ball. Well, they set up plays for me because I don't miss free throws. one and one I get fouled with about four seconds left to go. I go to the free throw line, and I miss the foul shot. And I miss it long, so there's a long rebound. And I'm so upset. I can't believe I missed the shot. I stand there like an idiot. The guy jumps in front of me, gets the ball, goes to half court, throws it up, and makes it, and we lose by one point. <laughs> I, Dave, to this day, I think about that shot. And I think about the, every time I drive down I-75 and pass that damn college, I think about that. These kids on Northern Iowa will never, ever, ever forget what they did.
0: No. It'll stick they, with them. They never will. The
1: rest of their lives. And that is a much bigger venue than I had. We had about a thousand people in the stands that night. I, I hope they all have died by now and forget that. But uh, when you, when you're an athlete and I don't care what kind of success you have, when you do something like that, you you always forget you always remember the bad things you know like you struck out with the bases loaded you could have hit 500 that year you you don't forget that bad thing you did and poor northern iowa players will never forget that game
0: no they ab- they absolutely won't they they will never ever and the problem is mark here's the thing it doesn't matter what, you know, Northern Iowa has been one of the most successful mid-major colleges in the tournament in the past several years, and they'll never shake the game as far as the media and the fans are concerned that they blew a 12-point lead with 44 seconds to go. That's right. They'll never shake it. That's right. So what happens over the next couple of weeks as we head in through the, this is really, uh, next week will be the last full week of Spring training, and then both teams open up the season on April fourth so what happens over these last two weeks' mark of training camp well you 're going to see
1: a lot more cuts i mean that 's what's the Indians and the Reds uh, pay attention over the next uh, three or four days because they want to get the roster down they don 't want to wait till the last minute to get it down to at least twenty six twenty seven players so you 're going to see a lot of cuts this week and on both teams, so they want to go into the final week with their team now you might have an extra player or two particularly in the bullpen but by and large you're going to know who your position players are and you're, you're going to start getting your your starting rotation done uh and you know who's going to pitch throughout april uh you, you're going to have your depth chart complete your triple a rosters filled out so this is the week uh next week you're not going to see a lot of tweaking uh this is the week where a lot of changes are going to be made
0: well we'll get into those changes next monday night mark
1: you have a good one david
0: you too. That's going to do it for tonight's Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Glad to have you along here this evening. Don't forget to join us again next Monday night at 9 o'clock with another edition of the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Our thanks to Greg Mitchell for producing, but most of all, our thanks to you for listening. I'm Dave Mitchell for Mark Donahue. Good night, everybody. The Wiz kids had won it.
1: Bobby Thompson had done it.
0: And Yogi read the comics all the while. Rock and roll was being born.